this week on a lively experiment. Dueling plans for a billion dollars in federal aid, whose proposals will win out. With vaccination coming to children ages 5 to 11, should Rhode Island continue to require masking in schools? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Pablo Rodriguez, retired professor at the Warren Albert School of Medicine, former state representative Doreen Costa, and former Woonsocket City Councilman and former state rep, John Brian. Welcome to Lively, I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you joining us. Rhode Island is one of the few states that hasn't spent its latest round of federal stimulus money, but it isn't for lack of need. This week, we learned about several proposals that include helping small businesses, building affordable housing, and boosting workforce development. But how long will it take to turn theory into reality. John, let me begin with you. And first of all, welcome back to Lively. It's Thanks been a little while. Um, you and Doreen both sat in that legislature for so long, and it was always, we don't have enough, we don't have any money, we don't have any money. Now it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. I wonder, as we see all these dueling plans, how do you ultimately make a decision with so much money? You know, that's a great question. It really was stunning. There was an article this week with uh, Speaker Sarkarchi saying for every $1 that has been allocated, there's $10 worth of, of asks. Um, I think that right now the governor's plan, and I, I like the governor's plan for investing in small business, the tourism industry, the event industry. I think that's really important. But when I look at the numbers, one thing that really stuns me is you think about all of these dollars being thrown around, $150 million, $400 million, $200 It's stunning in that this isn't just free money. This isn't just monopoly money here. And you think about the structural deficit that has been created because of the amount of money spent in this or allocated to this state, and you think about, you multiply that by 50, it's really a stunning amount of money, and it's frightening when you come right down to it. I think there are ways that we can spend this money in the best way possible, but let's just not spend because we have it. I think that definitely we have to have a, a very focused approach. Yeah, and the speaker has said investment, not spending. Doreen, I don't, I mean, URI wants $300 million. It's like, yeah, come on now. That. As you look at some of the priorities, what do you think? Well, first of all, I do know that a lot of the legislators up there are getting a lot of um, requests from their locals, you know, from the cities and towns that they represent. However, number one, they've been sitting on this money for quite some time while everybody is struggling. Okay, I don't understand that. I also think that they need to focus on the hospitals and the nursing homes who are struggling in the most. And I know that they had said, the governor had said workforce development. Well, you can't have a workforce development if people don't want to go back to work right now. So I don't know how he's going to spend the money. I don't know what he's going to do. I would not want to be the governor right now because you are not going to make everybody happy. But you can't forget the frontline workers, the nursing homes, and the hospitals, that I think, and the school departments that need this the most. This is not lottery money. We did not win the lottery. Mm. Uh, this is money that is being allocated as a result of a pandemic that affected this community and the world. And we need to put the money towards the people that suffered the most. Uh, big businesses in Rhode Island, $2.6 billion in PPP loans. Uh, 
we don't need to give more money to big business. We need to give money to the small restaurants, the small shops, the barbers, the, uh, uh, the beauty salons, that, uh, the, the businesses that closed because of the pandemic. That's what the money should be going to, not to a new building for, uh, for uh, URI, uh, which really doesn't need it. Um, the other thing is the thing about uh, people not going to work. People are not going to work because they can't afford childcare. Mm -hmm. uh, so the ideas that um, both the governor and the Rhode Island Foundation have put in towards childcare are extremely important. For the, for the longest time, we were saying that as soon as the unemployment money goes away, everybody's going to go back yeah, to it work. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened because you can't, okay? Because childcare is not accessible in this state, uh, and there's not enough childcare providers. Uh, and if you have kids at home that are being quarantined because kids are getting sick in school, we've had a quite a lot of them, uh, then you cannot go back to work uh, and you have to stay at home. I wonder about the, so the Rhode Island Foundation had this big thing, 400 million or more of affordable housing. And I wonder how that looks. I guess you have to get it. Everybody says, oh, we need more housing. And, you know, there's like zero vacancy rate in the apartments. I wonder how that looks, though. So where does the money go? Does it go to the developer? Does it go to rent subsidies? I mean, it sounds like a nice concept, but when you get into the details, how does that look? I think if you look at it on the local level, you there's a 10% threshold of, of in, in the state. Which nobody needs. Nobody, well... Woonsocket does meet it. Actually, Woonsocket exceeds the 10%. And so, as a former legislator and city councilman, when they say, uh, the advocates in the state say, well, there's not enough affordable housing in the state. We, there's not enough accessible housing in the city of Woonsocket. I say, well, look, we're the only one that are over the 10%. So, I think it's time, yes, if you're going to invest money in affordable housing, I think you need to look to the suburban communities who have not stepped up and have far less than that 10% threshold instead of some of the urban communities who are meeting or exceeding that 10% threshold. I think, honestly, if you're going to spread it around for affordable housing, let some of the other communities step up because some communities, such as my hometown of Woonsocket, has stepped up incredibly over the years. But do we have enough land? Uh, we do. We do, absolutely do, if we do it efficiently. And we have to understand one thing. Homelessness increased in Rhode Island before the pandemic. 4.6% between 2019 and 2020. So this is a problem that has been going on in Rhode Island and was exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, and it's not just about affordable housing in terms of people buying their own homes. Some people cannot afford to buy a home. It's about rental. The rentals are getting absolutely out of the world. People cannot afford to even rent an apartment, you know, in the urban areas. So we need to make sure that we target the money to where the people that needed the most and the people that were affected the most by this pandemic. Yeah, and we also, you made a good point, like where does it go to? Does it go to the renters? Does it go to the developers? I mean, it's going to have to go to everybody because mm -hmm. we have to pay to get the buildings put up. I know that Crossroads in North Kingstown is on a three-year waiting list for the affordable housing there. That's, that's a long time. And then the place across the street, I think, is King's Grant. They have a four-and-a-half-year waiting list. So it is a big problem here in the state. But we have to figure out, not us as a panel, the legislator has to figure out how to, how to allocate this money. I mean, it's going to have to go to the developers because they're going to have to pay. We're going to pay them to build. And we also have to have the closing. We have to have the banks involved. So this is not 
like Pablo said, it's a high percentage, but this is not an overnight solution. Mm -hmm. And the longer we wait, the worse it's going to get. The fly in the ointment is, you know, Gina Raimondo, the, the legislature basically gave her the keys to the car. And I understand yeah. it was a pandemic. Now, all of a sudden, the legislature is like, you know, damn it, he wants to get 10% out the door. Well, we need to hold hearings mm -hmm. and we need to look at this. And so really, ultimately, it will be the legislature deciding. But isn't that ironic that it's it, that's a 180 from what it was a year mm -hmm. ago? Oh, no, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, a couple of the ideas of the Foundation are also very, very good. Um, the idea about neighborhood trusts, where you actually identify those communities that were affected the most by the pandemic, give them the money, Go, neighborhood groups that can decide among themselves where to spend the money. $50 million they are uh, suggesting for that. And the one that I think is the best is about having transparency and evaluation of where the money is being put in to create a small office. Well, that would be new, wouldn't it? Well, to create a small office that is actually, you know, a watchdog to make sure that this money does not just wither away, you know, to special interests that sounds are like always an, the ones that sounds are... Sounds like an inspector general I was going to say, that, that, that sounds like a good idea to have the office of inspector general in the state. But one of the things that I think that you're dealing with here is the slowdown in the spending of this money is ultimately politicians in the legislature and in the executive will always make the decisions based on which core constituencies are we serving best and how is this going to help us most in an election year. And that always it always comes down to that, Jim. Yeah, years ago when I covered uh, the legislature in the late 80s, it went from a $100 million surplus to this huge you know, uh, deficit. And I remember Governor Dupreet telling me it's a lot easier when you have no money. You just say no to everybody. Yeah. Now, as you said, the the 10 for everyone and the legislators getting the question. Just quickly before we move on, is there anything that you didn't see in all of these proposals? And I know there are a lot to weed through. Anything that we're missing that you think we should maybe invest in? I like, the, like I said, I like the idea the tourism industry in uh, Rhode Island was hit hard. And that's definitely a huge part, especially to the southern part of the state. I like the idea of uh, the job creation and expanding the real jobs uh, RI uh, program. But I think that, and, and I think Pablo agree with me here, I think the urban centers that were hit the hardest definitely need to be a part of this conversation and, and, and how uh, the money is ultimately allocated. Because I know in my city, it was hit incredibly hard. Pablo, what are we missing? Yeah, the, the foundation did recommend some uh, loan forgiveness for uh, mental health um, uh, providers uh, to, to stay in the state. I think we need a little bit more uh, for students because right now the federal uh, moratorium is going to end uh, in January of next year. And you're going to have a lot of people that were that their education was interrupted but their loans were still accruing mm -hmm. uh, and are going to have a really, really difficult time meeting those payments. What do you think, Doreen? You know, I don't know. I really don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how they're going to spend the money, Jim. I've read through everything. I can't think of another organization that hasn't been lifted. However, to something that Pablo said, that let, I'm just going to use this for example. I don't know the exact numbers. The people in Central Falls or Pawtucket are just as needy as the people in North Kingstown. I mean, the number might not be as high, but we still need the money down there to help people. I mean, no, not the same. It 20, is the same. 28,000 per 100,000. I understand that, Pablo. 28,000 per 100,000 cases of COVID mm -hmm. uh, rate in Central Falls is one of the highest in the world. So if we have... So, so we're not talking about, you know, is this apples and oranges? Understood. We have a homeless family in North Kingstown. And we have 10 homeless people in Central Falls, 
the homeless people in Central Falls need that help just as much as that family in North Kingstown. Of course. So of that course. money should be distributed fairly. It, it just doesn't make any sense why one community would get more than another when we have the homeless issue all over the state. Hey, don't you wish you were in the legislature right now and you could figure all this out? <laughs> you guys are like, I like sitting back and opining about all this. I'll read about it in the paper. Yeah, we'll read it, John, all right? right. Uh, <laughs> let us move on. Um, Governor McKee hinted that the emergency order, which has been in place since March of 2020, at some point, with all of our numbers going in a positive direction, might... Um, be rescinded or that he might let it lapse. There's a question of the emergency order and then school masking. And this has been a big issue among parents. Pablo, let me begin with you as the medical uh, expert here. And also you've been on these uh, panels, the governor mm -hmm. advisory. Mm -hmm. Is it time to start rethinking that policy now about uh, masking in schools as we get the vaccines for the five to 11 year olds? What we have always discussed at the Vaccine Advisory Committee and the Equity Council uh, for COVID uh, for the governor is we should follow the data. And right now the data says that we have 158 per 100,000 cases of COVID in Rhode Island. Anything over 100 is considered high. Why community. is that considered high? It seems 158 out of 100,000 doesn't seem very high to me. It is high because... But who determines that? public health officials okay. that are looking at the infectivity rate. And when you have a, a, an infection where one person can infect five to eight people, uh, that's how it grows. That's how you get a pandemic. So what, 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 what I'm saying is that the public health officials have nothing to win here other than making sure that people are healthy. When you have a high rate of infection, when you have seen the cases in schools, we've had over 2,000 cases of, of students infected uh, in the school since the beginning of the year and 300 staff. What does that cause? What, that, what, what happens is that the school then got to go in quarantine. And you have then this mix up of, you know, at home and, and, and in school, the teachers, the students, everyone suffers. And why? Because we don't want to wear masks, because it's uncomfortable. I, really. Well, I, I disagree with uh, Pablo here on this one. I look at the data, and the data is, there's just this week in the Wall Street Journal, the numbers were that seven, it, out of the 17, from 17-year-old 17 and younger, seven out of 10 million cases result in hospitalization in New England. We've got an 85% vaccination rate here in the state of Rhode Island. I just think it's time... Kids have a higher chance of getting struck by lightning, one in 500,000 at recess, than they do getting hospitalized for COVID. Look, kids are resilient, you know, that, that old saying, but their immune systems are also very strong. We've got to get back to the days where we say, there's the old saying, we can land a man on the moon, but we can't cure the common cold. We have to get back into the mindset that there is going to be in schools people getting colds. That happens. There's going to be sniffles. There's going to be sore throats. There's going to be coughing. And we can't, get, we can't get in the mindset that every time someone has any kind of symptom, they need to go into quarantine. They need to somehow be separated from everybody else. It's time to take the mask off the kids or at least give the parents the choice that if they want their kids to be masked, they can be masked. Because having kids masked for eight hours a day, every single day, when they only have a seven out of 10 million chance of being hospitalized for COVID, it. We've really gone into way too far into overkill. It's not about this the one. kids. This is not about the kids. But if the parents this is are, not but, about the kids. But if this the is about are vaccinated. the entire community, this, this infection does not decide to infect just children or just yeah, adults. Yeah, but wasn't the concern when, that you were going to come home and kill your grandfather? And now he, most of them are vaccinated. It, it still is happening. The rate of infection right now in 
kids from 5 to 18 is 242 per 100,000. So let me ask you, of the 2,000, I'll let you jump in a second. Of the 2,000, what is the severity of their, are, are kids getting hospitalized? Do we have kids dying? Kids are getting hospitalized. And there have been a number, a number of, of, of deaths, you know, of children throughout the country. This is not about the children. In Rhode Island? This is about containing an infection that if it continues to mutate and it continues to change, we are going to go back to where we are. Russia is closing again. Uh, Japan uh, is, is just closed still. You know, this can again have another race. We're just never going to have, have a COVID-free world. If we have, if we have variants to continue to grow. Go the, ahead, way you, the way you stop the variants is by having the most stringent uh, uh, mitigation as long as community transmission is high. Go ahead, All right, well, here's something, and, and I totally respect you because you are the doctor, I am not, but Dr. McDonald from the Rhode Island Department of Health said there is no pediatric deaths from COVID in the state of Rhode Island. That was from Dr. McDonald's own Not mouth. Not about the kids. And it is about the kids because we're talking about school right now. And let's talk about um, test and stay, which I think they're working out in Westerly. And there's a lot of places that people are working. If you don't have the vaccine, you can test and stay. We can do test and stay. There are so many. And what happens when um, they test positive? Uh, uh, then you get sent home. Period. I mean, and so do the people in the room. Let me finish. So what for I'm just saying is that so, if you want schools to continue to open, you have to be able to contain the infection. All right, my turn. So what happens is if you do a test and stay, you go in. You, you're putting one room with one nurse or the, the the school nurse, and they swab you. Fifteen minutes, you sit there. Ten, fifteen minutes. If you're negative, you go right back out the same door you came in, and you do that every day or every other day. Everything will be solved. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing this in other states, and it is working. It won't be solved because the minute somebody turns positive, the rules are clear. The people that were around that kid also have to go home. Oh. It's not just that kid. Then my suggestion it is, works in other states. Why wouldn't it work here, Pablo? Then my suggestion is, is that we take desks out of the schools and we put in restaurant tables because you can walk into <laughs> any restaurant <laughs> in any place in Rhode Island <clears throat> and not have a mask on as long as you're sitting down <clears throat> in a restaurant, right? Yes. So put restaurant tables in the classrooms because that makes about as much sense. Look, the reality is, and uh, Senator Jessica De La Cruz tweeted about this, she put a picture of herself in uh, Gillette Stadium with 68,000 mm -hmm. fans, and I'm a season ticket holder as well. I know I can be in line with a thousand people trying to get in. I can be in a stadium of 68,000 people without having to wear a mask. But kids have to be masked eight hours a day, every single day, and they have, and there's no pediatric deaths for COVID in Rhode Island, and a seven out of 10 million chance of being hospitalized. Look, what it's gonna take is one renegade school committee anywhere in the state, and it's usually the suburban outliers, Doreen, that do this, they're gonna say, no, we're done. We're making parent choice. What are they gonna do, defund the school system? They're gonna take away all the money? It's impossible, they're not, well, gonna, they're not gonna do it. Three and a half times less likely to get uh, in a school outbreak that requires quarantine when you wear a mask universally in the schools. So if you want schools to remain open, you want masks. This is what do we do about the common cold? It still exists. This is not a common cold. We we this is not was. the common cold. This can kill children. This can kill but adults. It's, but Pablo, it's, it's not killing, killing children. People. 
every day. It's killing people every day. You know, people talk about, you know, about this infection as if it was something minor because the numbers of, for, for, the, for the horrible uh, deaths have, have gone down. The numbers for the deaths have gone down because we have increased vaccination. But and we are, at the, the end. Every day. we are at I, the I end here. of this effort. The worst thing we can do as winter begins, as we start getting congregated inside buildings, is just to let our guard down. Well, and, and real quick, Jim, if you don't mind, I was at Gillette Stadium two weeks when when um, Tom Brady made his return. Everybody's right. going to Gillette there. Stadium, and I'm not going. Come on. <laughs> it's outside. 16,000 people. Tonight, I'm going to see Blake Shelton at the Mohegan Sun. 10,000 people. All right. I don't, I'm, I am not anti-vax. I am 100% vaccinated. But we can have 60,000 people at Gillette. We can have 10,000 people tonight at a Blake Shelton concert. But you have 12 children in a classroom with their little mask on. Do the test and stay. Give it a try. I mean, I, I, just, I don't yeah, I do understand think the one, this. And we got to move on. But I do think the one problem now is where we were set up for remote last year, we aren't. So if they, so if they, if they send them home, then the kid really starts to lose yeah. because they're not doing the. It happened to my grandchild. Mind you. One, one last point. I think I just think that throughout this pandemic, you've got politicians making medical decisions based on constituencies and who best. What best constituency can they serve and not get upset so it's going to affect them at election time? It always comes back to that. We've talked about money in the show. We've talked about mm -hmm. the COVID-19 situation in the show. And it's always coming back to politicians making decisions based on which constituency they don't want to get upset. All right. Let's do uh, outrageous. And, John, since you've been here, uh, we have kudos. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of ambivalent about that, too. But we'll get to that in a second. Do you have an outrage or a kudos? Uh, I had an outrage, but I'm going to change it to a kudos. Um, there's oh, a, come on. Uh, oh, I don't I'm not. All right. You want no, an outrage? No, can you give me a kudos? You Go want ahead. me to give you the no, kudos? No, you give me a kudos. All right. Go I ahead. just want to say a big thank you to all the health care workers um, that have been through thick and thin through this pandemic. And I'm sorry that you are losing your jobs because of a vaccine mandate. We should do tests and stay for for the medical field as well and i thank you all for the service to the community all right john what do you have i actually have a kudos jim because <laughs> it's positive i'm back and i'm happy to be back okay <laughs> we're happy to have you back. i'm happy to be back no i have a kudos this week to um, american legion post 85 in woonsocket and the heritage harbor foundation who lit the eternal flame at the uh, war memorial in the city of woonsocket and i encourage everyone to go up there to see the war memorial and one of the most fascinating things, and what people in the state really don't know a lot about, is the role that Woonsocket played in General Patton's ghost army. And I think that that's really a, a great story in which rubber mills in Woonsocket created tens of thousands of rubber tanks, trucks, and jeeps to create a ghost army in Europe before uh, the Normandy invasion. And I think it's a great lesson for everyone. It's a beautiful memorial, and it's, the eternal flame has been lit in Woonsocket, and I encourage everyone to go. And Heritage Harbor and Post 85 did a wonderful job last Sunday. To your law practice, are you now the head of the Chamber of Commerce? Is that your dual role now? Ever the cheerleader for Winsocket, always. There, there you go. Somebody needs to do it. <laughs> so somebody has to be outraged, you know. <laughs> there you go. lively experience. So I am extremely outraged about the situation with San Barano Hospital mm. and the Regan unit. Uh, and not for the reasons people might expect. Uh, I'm not concerned about the individuals that are trying to, you know, move patients, you know, in order to reach a quota to allow for them to get paid. I'm outraged at the system that still continues to separate mental health from physical health and that it forces administrators to work with patients as if they were a commodity. 
uh, and, and, and making sure that we don't get to the 51 percent because we're not going to get paid. Mm. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous that this country continues to separate mental health from physical health. And it's time that we should just stop it. Wow. All right. Uh, we have about five minutes left. Um, I wanted to touch base on the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. Now, you're a Democrat. You probably are not that far uh, left. You're actually more probably toward Doreen's side. As you view this, Matt Brown, they had the big announcement. They've recruited the 50 candidates and all of that. As you see this going into the election cycle, what are your thoughts? I look at the Rhode Island Political Cooperative as not quite ready for prime time. I think it was made an announcement. There was a splash that was made. Uh, with the announcement. I think Matt Brown wants to show, if you look at the other Democrat candidates for governor, many of them are say, you know, yes, we're down the line liberals, but this is our difference. The Dan McKee will say, I'm for school choice. Uh, Helena Folk will say, well, I'm the outsider. Matt Brown wanted to say, socialism is okay. I'm, I can be the face of socialism, okay? Uh, and here are my candidates. I think that many of them weren't vetted or didn't have, because that party and that wing of the party is so entrenched in cancel culture that as long as they don't have a group collective thought that they're, you're losing candidates. People are saying, well, I, made, I had a tweet from 10 years ago or I supported this 10 years ago or I wrote this check 10, uh, 10 years ago. Look, candidates are going to be different if you're going to all move in the same direction, you can have different thoughts. If you're all thinking alike, nobody's thinking. I just think that they just went out and said, look, we're all alike. We're going to transform the state. You know, there was a statement that they made. Uh, we're going to take over the blank state house. Yeah. I don't think they're quite yet ready for it yet. And I think the pendulum is going to swing in this election cycle in the other way anyway. So I think that their political aspirations are doomed, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. Uh, I think that, um, you know, they should be uh, pushing for what they're for instead of what they're against. <laughs> um, and, you know, the first statement out of a group that, you know, pretends to bring everyone together is to say, oh, those corrupt Democrats, you know, that are running the, uh, the state house. Well, you know, if that's how you feel, then leave the Democratic Party. Then you know, become a libertarian. You know, form your own or party. Or Republican. Or Republican. Whatever. <laughs> but but you also wonder too whether people look at what's going on nationally with the progressives kind of doing scorched earth, and they wonder, do we want that to happen here in Rhode Island? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. We have to work together. Politics is the art of compromise, mm -hmm. uh, and this is the problem that we have in this country right now. That we are all just pulling for a tribe. You know, come hell or high water. Uh, and you know what? You know, that became the, the mantra that basically, you know, recruited the candidates. Oh, yeah, you know, you're for it, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. So we're all going to, you know, take over the state house. No, that's not the way politics work. You know, we have to, you know, reach a compromise. We have to just make sure that the power of our arguments is the one that's going to carry the day, not the power of our anger. Well, as a Republican, I am loving this. I am loving watching the Democrats just, just beat just themselves beat up. Beat themselves right? up. And this is what's going to happen. And, and I know Susie Yankee's working extremely hard, and we've got a lot of candidates coming up. And a lot of the Democrats are going to be in big trouble. Are we going to take over the General Assembly? Absolutely not. That will never happen. It is a Democratic state. But when you go out to the grocery store, I want you to guys take a look at the shelves. It's not our party that's doing this because we don't have control over anything right now. Doreen, so just, fun. just between us, yes. nobody else. Nobody else. Do you got to be inside line on who's going to be the Republican candidate for governor? <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Is <sighs> it if they 
clued you in yet? I can't say. Uh, <laughs> Jerry, I have, I have a quick so point sorry. on that is that uh, there was a candidate yesterday, Mr. Darlington, who said he may uh, want to run for governor. If Blake Phillippe runs for governor on the Republican side, you're going to have the worst thing they can have is a Republican primary. I mean, that really, the, the Republican Party needs to get out of its own way. But back to what Pablo was saying the, 30 seconds. The ultimate problem with the progressives is that they don't understand that politics is the art of compromise, it's 100% or nothing. If you give them 99%, they're gonna primary you because they want 100%. It's destructive and totally, totally, uh, it, it just doesn't work. It, it's just against the idea of compromise. All right, folks, that is all the time we have, unfortunately. John, so nice to have you back. To be back. He No truth of the rumor that he stayed overnight and did not drive from Woonsocket <laughs> this morning. Um, Pablo, thank you, and Doreen, as, uh, as always, good to see you. Folks, thank you for joining us. Come back here next week. We'll have all the developments of the week uh, covered. We hope you have a great weekend, and come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm John Hazen White jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS